Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers by Conscious Discipline. I'm Latoria Marcellus. I am a mom and I am an educator who practices conscious discipline. And I'm Amy Spidell, and I've been a CD instructor for over 20 years. And I got to say, I've been saying 20 years for probably the last 10 years. So hmm. <laughs> it together, Amy and I are here to discuss the trends and the events in education and how conscious discipline impacts really every aspect of what it is that we do. For those of you who are new to conscious discipline, Conscious Discipline is an adult-first, transformational, trauma-responsive approach to self-regulation. It integrates social and emotional learning, theory and application, research, and brain-based discipline practices. Woof, that was a lot. Yeah, exactly. That is such a mouthful. And when we really think about what that boils down to in terms of what we are attempting to do in this world when we bring conscious discipline to families, to our own lives, to schools, is that realization that children follow our lead. And when we talk mm -hmm. about adult first transformation, it is we're already teaching them what to do in different situations. We're just not crazy about how it's showing up. So just to think about, you know, the way, the way we speak to each other and all of those kinds of things, that's really what we're looking for is how do we become uh, that model for them? Because this is a time when we know children are forming their own meaning around who they are in the world and how they're going to uh, just interact with uh, with others in their community and we're giving them we're really giving them the playbook um, so <clears throat> beefing up our playbook uh, for perhaps a more healthy game and you know what gets really tricky about the playbook is that when you start using conscious discipline there's like no chapter on the table of contents that talks about punishment. And when I am out, that's usually one of the first things that they ask me about. It's one of those, okay, so where are the consequences? And I'm like, so it depends on what you mean, you know? Um, is it a punishment that we're really looking for or is it actual consequences where we're trying to teach some new skills? And Latoria, I think it is so interesting because I get that same kind of comment and I'm sure many of us do. And when they say, but there are no consequences, we know they mean punishment because there's a whole chapter in the book called Consequence. So that is actually there. That is such a challenge though, isn't it? That mindset mm -hmm. away from but where it, we're not even saying where the punishments or where the consequences. We're saying, when do we get to see them feel bad about what they did? Uh, because it is that moment of uh, shame, of shame on you, mm -hmm. that we have all, most of us at least, have grown up with some indication that we should feel bad for what we did, that we should be ashamed of what we did. And today is going to be really exciting because our guest is going to shine a light on how um, we can exactly take this type of work and we can look at it in a different way in a school context. Kristen Chesterman is an educator in Indiana. She's working as a behavior support coach for a large educational corporation. And she'll talk to us about the approach she's designed to help teachers have better outcomes for themselves and for students when responding to this difficult behavior. You know, what Kristen is going to talk about is 
what does that lead to? Does it lead to a more productive response to behavior or does it lead to just wanting to cover up who you are so that people mm-hmm. don't pick at it, right? So I'm just going to hide who I am. And that's where, you know, I I think everybody's got, uh, you know, at least a little bag of, uh, of masks uh, that they wear and uh, for some, a much bigger suitcase because uh, we... J- we want kids to be seen. We want them to know that we see the mistakes. We see our own mistakes. And how is it that we're going to walk through that and learn to do it differently instead of being ashamed for having made them? And that's what I think this whole, uh, you know, ugh, take a hold of it, people. Our big thing for this one is open up to curiosity around, hmm, why did I have a little knee jerk around the, but you didn't tell me how they took responsibility or you didn't tell me just open up a little bit to that curiosity of can I hear what was accomplished differently from what used to be accomplished because if we can do that then we don't have to disrupt their well-being in order for them to learn to take a better tool welcome Kristen Hello, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm truly blessed to have this opportunity to really just share um, my passion with you guys. So thanks for having me on. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. Okay, so I am currently this year our school's Title I behavioral support teacher. Um, And what's really exciting about that is that this is the first year we've had this um, role. Um, And so I get to design it because it's not anywhere else in our area or in our corporation. Um, I'm in a building of around 615 students. We are a Title I building. um, And we have been on our own conscious discipline journey um, with our corporation for about the last five years. Um, And our specific school even before we got introduced to um, conscious discipline, we were on kind of our own neuroanatomy, learning about um, resilience and our brains and things like that um, even before. And then the conscious discipline came along. So this year has been spent really creating that, giving me the opportunity to practice some things and to see what's kind of working and what's not. Um, So I'm super excited. As you think about how you put this all together, what were some of the guiding principles that you used to keep your focus? Well, we knew that what wasn't working was punishments. And because punishments and rewards rely on other people's judgments, right? Um, Where consequences rely on our reflection. So as we were looking at what some of those consequences could be, um, we're looking at the timing of things that we did and our intentions, um, keeping in mind that it's what we do inside of kids, not to them. Um, and just making sure that the consequences, because there are consequences, were, were full of reflection um, where they have to stop and realize what their um, choices are and their outcomes, which for many of our scholars is very difficult. Um, and then getting them to own it. So many times we do that, you have to say sorry. Well, they're not even owning it on that. And then having that connection as well. So I try to keep those three things in mind whenever we are creating um, some of those consequences and not just making it my judgment and not making them feel terrible. You had talked about um, some 
other brain-based approaches that you had been looking at and researching. So what is it that made you kind of move from what you were initially learning about to conscious discipline? Yeah. So when I initially got started into this, I had been to a conference, like so mm-hmm. many things you hear, you hear the things and then you're like, oh, I want to do this. And I started out with just your basic neuroanatomy. I really knew nothing. Um, and But I knew that we as adults needed to hear mm-hmm. this. Our kids needed to hear this. And so oh. I got really excited. I created all these neuroanatomy lessons and every kid can talk about their prefrontal cortex and their amygdala and their hippocampus. The disconnect then was, okay, we know the why, but what's mm. the how? So it was great that we were like, yeah, you have this amygdala and this prefrontal cortex in your thinking brain, but what can we do preventatively? and proactively, and what strategies can we use? When conscious discipline came into our world, that was the really bridge that bridge between the two, that the gap that we were seeing. And then it just kind of took off from there because then it conscious discipline provided those structures and those skills that have all of that neuroanatomy embedded in it that the adults can tangibly see. And I think truly the adults then seeing that it's about them that was a real, real turning point too, that it, you know, it's not just great to learn of it, that the kids know about their neuroanatomy. It's really important that you know about yours as well. And that seems like a big pivot. So in all of this, how have you seen that um, mindset shift play out with the staff that you work with? So those teachers who are using that mindset shift they know the composure skill part of it, um, the pivot, actually, like you said earlier, the pivot part of that. And they realize that it, it starts with them. It's, it's them in the classroom and sharing those mirror neurons and sharing um, their what their body's putting out is what the kids are catching as well. Um, and so they've just been more mindful and they've been more purposeful. Um, about how things are going in their classroom and reflective. I would say definitely reflective, knowing that it starts with them. So it's we are definitely still a work in progress. We all fail every day, right? But I think being real with the students, with our scholars, that, hey, I messed up and I was not in my right brain state today and, and honoring that and being vulnerable, that has been for some of our teachers this year, really, really powerful, especially in our upper grades. I think that is one of the hardest things that we go through is recognizing that this isn't about nailing it, right? And so when you think about how many of us were brought up with uh, making a mistake, it was that you should feel ashamed and all of these other things that cascade on you. So, uh, you know, it's amazing what you're saying about how they're able to do that and you're giving them the background plus the practice. Are you noticing that... uh, that there are situations where, um, where there's kind of a stopgap, you know, like um, I can, I can, I can adjust to this. I can change my practice around this, but if it gets to something that's a little bit more dicey, then it gets harder. Um, I think that's one of the things that as the pandemic hit and all those things that sometimes people felt like it was working, but now kids are more off the rails. So when you think about the RTI, what is it that you um, have as a practice for those for those progressive issues? We are really focusing on, and what we've really noticed is a lots and lots of 
um, gaps in our tier one. So one of the things actually as a corporation that we have done um, for it's going to be rolled out this fall is a universal referral form that is multi-step. It has the teachers pause um, before they just kick them out of the room, mm-hmm. throw them to the office, whatever. Um, so as you go through that referral form, it's very much um, brain aligned, it's preventative, it's what tier one strategies have you been doing, it's restorative, um, w- how are you going to restore this? We've got the parent piece in there, have you contacted the parents? Um, but then it's got all these tier one um, strategies in there, again, t- brain aligned. Um, we actually did a survey of what everybody's referral processes were, um, And everybody was all over the board. And so we knew this was definitely something that we needed to do. And we were also taking it as the opportunity to let's really get our teachers to look at, are you doing all of these tier one practices? We also then created a tier one website that is split into safety strategies, connection strategies, educator presence strategies, and neuroanatomy strategies that they can use to be like, okay, we're, what can we do differently next time? And really, again, continuing to refine that mindset of what can we be doing as a team to, for these for these scholars um, to then as we go through that RTI process. So lots and lots of tier one. We have what I call kind of a tier one and a half. Um, and before we get to the actual tier two, but really focusing on that tier one. For some of those um, folks who are out there and they might not be completely certain about tier one, tier two, can you um, kind of give them like a summary of what it is that you mean when you're talking about this is a tier one intervention? Sure. So when we are talking tier one, we're talking um, strategies that are for all students. Um, in the uh, building, in your classroom, we're talking procedures and routines and myself as a teacher and my positive intent. And those are all things that you can be using at that tier one level. It's for all students. So it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like your best practices. This is just how we do things here, yes, right? Absolutely. And think of, think of a pyramid and, and at the bottom of that pyramid, is that's the base, that's the foundation. So you've got the biggest part of your pyramid being that tier one. Then as you go up the pyramid, you have tier two, and that is for a smaller percentage of students um, who that they may need some more touch points. They may need some more connections. They may need a small group, a small social skills group, and just more intensive tier one. Um, and then the tier three is just a the, the very tiny tip of the pyramid. And that's for just a small, small few percentage of your scholars in your building that even need more intensive interventions and strategies. And usually those fall into the one-to-one category. Um, they're very relationship resistant a lot of times, those kids. So making those connections, um, it becomes really, really even more critical. And that potentially it, could end up with maybe um, a referral um, process. But we're, again, the point of the tier one and the tier two is to teach them those skills that they are missing, um, that they, especially in the behavioral part of it. A lot of people are referred to the tier one, the tiers in terms of academics, because that's been around for you know, a really long time. And so I will, when I'm explaining what I do, I'm like, it's no different than that. So when a child is struggling with math, what do we do? We're teaching them full class, but what do you do when they're not getting it? When they're not getting the double digit multiplication, 
And the teachers will usually say, well, I, I'll pull them back in a small group. And I'm like, well, that's no different with our behaviors. If they're struggling playing in a group outside at recess, what do we need to do? We need to teach them how to play in a small group at recess. You may not be able to do that as a whole group, so we can put them in a smaller setting to be able to do that. I think it's so cool, too, that you are blending that with the academic uh, mindset, because we certainly wouldn't take books away from somebody who couldn't read or set them in the hall while we did math. And yet, for socialization, oftentimes it is the not only are we removing you from the opportunity to practice, but we're often putting kids together who have limited skills without the guidance of that person who's supporting them, right? So uh, when you think about how you've moved uh, that mindset for people, it's a huge mindset because we have had it for generation upon generation, the idea that uh, when you can't learn, we'll teach you, when you can't behave, we'll punish you. So what do you feel um, really tipped that for people? Like, what do you think the catalyst was? I think so many people that I work with, that's the biggest challenge is finding that moment where I'm willing to see it differently in order to uh, respond to it differently. So what are some of your strategies for that? Oh, so many things across my mind. Um, you know, it is, it is hard. It has been something that has been ingrained in us and we make those mistakes. We oops all the time. Um, but I think the catalyst has been what we were doing was not working. And so we might as well, you know, give this a shot. Um, some people still look at me and they're like, you're crazy. <laughs> and I will get up and, and do a professional development and say, I know you're going to get tired of hearing me saying this, but relationships, relationships, connections, connections, connections. Um, but really the inroads that I have made with some of our teachers has been when they've come to me just exhausting. They have exhausted all of their possibilities. And so I took that tier one website and we're able to pull that up and I'll start to question them. Do you think it's a connection issue? Are they in what brain state are they in? Do you think it's a safety issue? Do you have these things in place? And so we're able to start there. Um, one example was when the teacher um, came to me, she had had a really good relationship with this um, scholar. And she was like, I don't know, something's changed with him. She was um, kind of disassociating himself from his classmates. And when he did want their attention, he was doing it in kind of unhealthy ways. Um, he didn't really know how to um, connect with his peers, had a lot of issues at recess. And she's like, I'm just, I don't know what else to do. And so she came to me and we pulled up that tier one website. And so the way our website was set up under connections, we had put the kind of ranked all the strategies from order of importance. And the number one, uh, one of the top five on there was the community circle and brain, stop, brain smart start. And as we were, and we were kind of going down there, do you think he's connected there? We realized he wasn't showing up a lot of the times he was coming in late. 
And so he was not getting the connection that he needed to. Um, so our then goal was how can we build those connections with um, the rest of his classmates? Um, at the same time, I had a second grader who needed kind of a big brother kind of mentor model and needed some connection as well. And so the, between the second grade teacher, the fourth grade teacher and I, we got together and we said, can we do kind of a breakfast buddy kind of a thing? Absolutely. They were all on board and we um, connected this fourth grader. So he had breakfast with our second grader. Um, it gave him a purpose for coming to school. His attendance at the beginning of the day was much more improved. So he was then able to feel more confident because he was um, connecting with the second grader. He felt like he had value, a valuable role to play. And then bonus, he was here on time and he got to connect with his classmates a little bit more. Um we, we figured out also how to converse with his classmates was, was a missing skill of his. So I did kind of an unofficial tier two intervention, um, a small group intervention with him. But what I did was I didn't pull him to my room for an intervention time. I actually went to his room and used other kids from his classroom in my small group with him, even though they didn't necessarily need the lesson it was the interaction um, and we were actually discussing social cues um, and having that conversation with those other scholars in his classroom um, to teach him how to interact with them. So we kind of embedded that in that intervention into his classroom. And, you know, one of the things I think that I heard in that that is so big in conscious discipline is that what you give to others, you strengthen in yourself. Correct. But Kristen, it took it took some imagination to think somebody without skills can help somebody younger gain skills. And that's what, you know, so many times I think we think uh, we can't have him do it because he's not even doing it for himself. But when you have that opportunity to be with somebody who's, who's ready to receive it from you, it makes such a difference. And, yes. and bringing it to the whole class, I, those, that's when, you know, when we think about what the mindset shift really is, and, and what you're saying about how they see it happening is somebody's got to kind of jump into it, you know, and say, this isn't the way we normally do it, but the way we normally do it doesn't work. So bravo, I, you know, that's because it can be so risky. So, you know, just from that risk factor piece, have you gotten any, uh, any kind of uh, feeling around uh, a parent thing or, um, teacher thing around the fact that they're getting away with something because I think that's the other thing when we let go of punishment is that now they're just getting now you're rewarding them now he <laughs> can't behave and he gets to go down to the second grade classroom geez I use several scholars for recess because that's probably where I've done the most work it's probably where we're getting the most success stories but we have the most they're getting away with it they don't we need to take the recess away so I've developed and planned and modeled and we'll roll it out next school year, um, junior coaches, where we've taken those, those scholars who not your tier, what I would call tier one scholars, but your scholars who need a little bit more of um, the, the power of attention in a positive way. And we trained them up to go out on the playground with the um, first graders. They're playing with uh, kids who they see um, need a little extra help. Um, and I've trained them on that, give them sentence starters um, for what we want to see. You know, 
you were hoping, you wanted. And, um, and they go out a couple of times a week um, to do that. And I did have a teacher remark the change that that had made in a couple of those fifth grade scholars. Um, they felt, you know, they're walking a little taller. But ultimately, at their recess, they're not having as many issues. And that was huge because we were having a lot of problems out at recess with a couple of these. And so instead of punishing them, we put them to work training up in them what we wanted to see. So they're using it out on the first grade playground. But then ultimately, they're using it in their classrooms and on their playground as well. And so that's been, we have several success stories um, with that. So that's been really, really exciting. And it really sounds like this has been a way for you to keep your school family intact. We don't kick you out just because you're not, you know, quote unquote, getting it right. Instead, we find a way for you to be successful. It's kind of like Thanksgiving dinner. You know, your uncle is going to come and get on everyone's nerves, but you don't kick them out. Instead, you know, you sit them next to Aunt Sally, who also likes to talk, you know, (laughs) so that that they can, um, you know, kind of support each other and, and being there. But so many times, you're right, we think that kids are not able to be of service to anyone because they're not doing it the way that we told them to. But if we give them the opportunity to practice just in a different way, they can gain skills or you can uncover skills that you might not have even known they had because it's all about keeping the family intact and not kicking anyone out of it. And that was just a beautiful example, I think, of how you are able to keep kids in the in the family. And that's just so powerful being in that family and knowing I have a place here. So it's not, oh gosh, here he comes. Instead is we were waiting for you to come down here because little Michael needed your help. You know, that is just a whole different narrative that you've given to a child's life instead of, you know, get out of here, go to the office. Instead is come here because I need you. That's a completely different message. And it's exactly what Amy referred to earlier is it's being creative. It's being imaginative. It's thinking outside the box, but ultimately it's that they are missing skills. Um, That's probably what I've preached the most this Mm -hmm. year is they've got missing skills. And if we just continue to have them walk laps or go to the office or whatever, it's that shame, punish, rinse, repeat. We're not fixing the situation. And One of my favorite stories from this year to go along with that was we had a fourth grader really struggled. He was pretty aggressive, um, very impulsive for the safety of the other scholars. And for himself, we had to do something differently than what we were doing. And our original um, thought with the help of Jenny Barkick helping us along, our, our conscious discipline coach, Um, we actually said, well, let's try him at a lower grade level recess. And so we had some parameters in place, but the whole time, Latoria, we kept saying, you are not in trouble. We want you to be successful. And so we're going to teach your body. Your body's working so hard and we just want to teach you in a different environment. So it knows what to do. And we said that to him over and over and over again. And we started out a little rocky. And so we actually did a a kind of a tier two intervention, called it a structured recess, where he came to me. We actually did a social skills lesson and then a recess game, just me and him to start. 
then I brought in some other scholars to learn how to interact and um, how do you handle this conflict and what do you say? Um, then went back out to third grade recess. And I won't say this wasn't a struggle. It was, <laughs> we had a lot of oops days. We had, but you know what? We said, we'll just try it again tomorrow. You weren't ready today. We'll just try it again tomorrow. And just kept believing in him. And then he went like 15 days in a row with no aggression issues, which was our um, foundational uh, goal that we were trying to get at. Well, he actually came to us, the scholar came to us and said, I think I'm ready to try fourth grade recess. This is, this was two weeks ago. And first of all, for him to say that respectfully and to come to us, we were like, yeah, we will absolutely be here to support you. You know, one of the things you talk about, it's all about the timing and your intentions of the consequences, right? Because his he still had a consequence. He was not with his peers. And we were trying to teach him how to um, uh, be able to do recess in, in a successful way and with a younger grade level. And we said, okay, so let's talk through this. What were the problems last time? Why will this be successful this time? And he very maturely said, well, I think this has been fixed. And one of them was flag football. We now have flags. And so we don't have to touch each other. And so we worked through all those things. And then we said, okay. And again, this was a partnership between his teacher, who he totally trusts, and myself and him. And what are going to be the consequences? What are we going to do if we're, because we want you to be successful if you're not successful. And we went through and some of those options as well. And he has not had a problem for the last eight days. And he, and great way to end the year. <laughs> it was. And you know, his teacher, again, first year teacher, it just gives mm -hmm. me goosebumps even thinking about it. She said, as a whole, his week in the classroom last week was the best week he'd had all year. You know, we've talked about how this um, pivot from punishment to consequences has affected your teachers, how it's affected the students. But what about the families and the support systems that are at home? What are you hearing from them? What, what are they saying? From what the, the teachers who have been involved, the parents have been appreciative. Um, I think they are wanting to know, what can I do to help at home as well? Um, and that's what I'm most excited about to say is these are strategies that the things that we're doing, you can easily do at home too. And actually that would really help because if we're saying this and you're saying this, we're going to grow it even more um, with those scholars. So um, the little that I've had has been positive. Um, plus we're not getting those phone calls they're not getting those phone calls dreaded. I, you know, they see it pop up on this school ID that, oh, it's a school calling again. Um, so we're hoping to shift their mindset as well. So I'm really looking forward to that piece of it. And it really sounds like the outcomes for teachers, for the children, for families are really different than what they would have been if we just focused on punishment. Because when children are punished, it doesn't just affect the child it affects the teacher because that starts a ripple effect of things. It's going to start, you know, damaging those relationships that you have in the classrooms. It's going to change the atmosphere of your classroom because now it's look at him. He's always in trouble. He's bad. That's what the children start to say. Then they say it to the family members, you know, so the mom comes in and they're like, yeah, oh, yes, 
I know who Jeremy is because I hear his name all the time, you know, and it just starts this um, cascading effect of negativity that just circles around your room. And it, unfortunately, it follows our students year after year after year to the point where they're okay with being the so-called bad one. It's because it's what everybody expects of me. If you don't expect me to do anything, then what's the point of me even trying? You know, because you're going to find something to fuss at me about anyway. So taking this time out to really make this change, make this shift of I'm not seeking revenge. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Instead, this conflict truly is an opportunity to teach. It's making a difference with the teachers who are doing things differently. It's making a difference with the children who had the opportunity to get back to fourth grade recess and the parents who no longer Mm -hmm. have to be bothered, you know, with class dojo ringing all the time on their phones while they're at work. Or, you know, knowing whenever I see this phone number pop up, somebody's going to tell me something that's horrific about my child. It really um, gives you the opportunity to have a true family. And, And for me, one of my greatest takeaways from our conversation is if you want to be able to build a true school family, that mindset shift from punishment and revenge to consequences, or even the shift of seeing that this conflict, you know, we we have to address it, as you were saying, on these different tiers or these different layers, um, levels, but it's not different levels of how I can get you. Instead, it's different layers of how I, like I can that. help you reach um, a specific goal. What I love about uh, what you just said, Latoria, is that idea that uh, not only is the student who needs to pick up skills learning, but everybody around them then has an opportunity to learn as well. It's not a it's it, you know it's it's an equal opportunity uh, um, learning environment, right? Because teachers, uh, Kristen, from what you've said, the teachers have learned the younger grades have learned that we are changing society by saying everybody has their part. And without the challenging child coming in, we don't stretch. And so every time they show up, we have an opportunity to deepen our skills, deepen our understanding and awareness. You know, Kristen, thank you for reminding us that all behavior is communication. My favorite quote. Right. When we see it, it's telling us something and for reminding us that we don't have to be punitive when we respond to that communication. We can definitely just use it as an opportunity to teach skills that our children need to be successful. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us and for sharing your brilliance with us so that others who are on the same path and same journey as you are can be able to take some of those bits and pieces of the things that you're doing and what you're implementing and begin to do them on a daily basis as well. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been such a joy and a blessing to talk with you. Wow. You know, Amy, one of the biggest takeaways that I got from Kristen's story is that our approach doesn't have to be prescriptive. It is really um, conscious discipline really is a framework 
You take what you need in the situation that you were in to be able to teach those new skills. And it makes me think about the story that she told about the young one who ended up going to the second grade recess, you know, instead of staying in fourth grade. It wasn't a punishment as in you don't get recess. So, you know, shame on you. You should have done better. Instead, it was taking that young person and putting them in a situation where they could learn new skills so that he could do it differently. You know, it wasn't a, a, a sentence of you never get to go back and play. You know, it was a let us help you build these skills so that then you can go back and practice those skills and you can have a different outcome. So I really just thought that was a powerful um, insight into how, you know, this isn't a checklist thing. It's a, let me get my composure together so I can see how I can be helpful to this student or to this child that is in my life. And, you know, there's so many ways that we already do that. It's just we have a hard time doing it when it involves behavior because our emotions are so mixed up in it. And because our own mental models are the, we were told when we stepped out of line that we should get and I, you know, we d- certainly in schools, we do that with academics. We don't, uh, we certainly don't take books away from a child that's struggling to read. Uh, we help them uh, really pay attention to how they're going to make sense of the words on the page even more. So I, yes, I agree that when she uh, was saying how you offer to others what you're trying to build within yourself, that I, you know, that going down to a younger grade and giving them the best of what you have to offer mm-hmm. so that you strengthen that when you're with your own peer group. And it sometimes is hard to be with your own peer group and shine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but wow, that's just been such a big, uh, you know, just such a big way of bringing a new concept into uh, fortifying skills rather than uh, denying children access to building those skills because they missed it somewhere. And the pandemic certainly did mm-hmm. not make it any easier. Uh, that is, and you know, as parents and as teachers, uh, you know, it was just the, uh, we all kind of took a hiatus there for a couple of years in growing our skills right. and we're picking up again. And, you know, it can be really, really hard to start to do something differently if you don't know what that different is supposed to be. If you are so used to, you know, I've done this for 15 years and you're asking me to do something different, but you didn't give me a checklist so that I could do it differently. You know, it's, it can be a little daunting at times and you, you might be um, a little hesitant to try to do something in a different way when you don't know what it is. But Um, I think that Kristen, as a leader, she has gone the extra mile of making sure that she's given teachers some options of what to replace those old behaviors with so that they can feel a little more steady on their feet when they go to try something in a different way. Um, She really did take some of the load off um, of herself and off of her teachers as she started to build these things. So it's almost like a library of things that you can try or you can see what best fits instead of um, just thinking that on the spot, you have to right away know the answer for something. And you know what I love about that, Latoria, is it exactly shows that's what we're going to do for our kids. That if she had come in and just said, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. And, you know, you're going to be written up as a teacher if you don't give them oh, a different right. this, It would have been the same concepts that we're used to. But she mm-hmm. shifted it for teachers so that they knew 
if we're going to shift this, let's give you the tools required in order to be more successful mm -hmm. with shifting. Like, how cool is that? Like, we get it when it's happening for us that instead of giving me a, a, a punishment, the consequence is, and there is a consequence, I'm going to have to really work at changing my language or work at changing my mental model. Um, it, there is work involved in that, but the work is in, uh, in the effort of bringing a better mm -hmm. process into play instead of feeling like now I need to leave the profession. And if there are parents listening to this too, oh, now I need to, you know, have somebody else raise my child because clearly I don't know how to do it. It's not that. It is the, the consequence is now that I know I'm going to pull the tools that are going to allow me to do this in a much more successful way. And that's, that's all we're doing. We're pulling the tools in so that we can also teach our kids, here's the tool. And oh, wow, I just love how that, um, how you brought that right back to the adult um, circumstance, because it really does say, this is why we want to give them conse that consequence of learning rather than the punishment of not knowing. Right. We have a question this week, and our question is coming from Danny from West Palm. And Danny asks, so what happens when a child hurts another child or violates an existing rule? Hmm, what do you think, Amy? Oh, yeah, it's so timely that, you know, obviously um, Danny has heard a little bit about conscious discipline and, and uh, feels the way that we talked about at the very beginning, which is the, where are the punishments? And it makes sense because when you don't feel it as that, you need to feel bad about the fact that you hurt someone else. That is where we jump to is now I want you to feel as bad as that child did in some way. And the, the challenge is definitely in a situation where someone's being hurt in conscious discipline. We do a uh, the child who's been intruded upon and hurt. We go to that person first. And that's because we're empowering them to be able to know that you have been uh, that your safety has been disrupted. And um, we are the safe keepers. So therefore, we're going to make sure that you're safe. That other child. Uh, in that moment is helped in bringing that escalation down so that they come to a point where they're able to understand uh, this is what happened. That didn't work for the other people and it wasn't helpful for you. How do you then work through that? And sometimes that's, you know, everything about conscious discipline is learning that self-regulation so that you can face the consequence once you have it. And so, you know, there's a whole other part about this with the time machine and all of that. But the existing rule piece, I think, is a, a little bit unique in that you're still going to experience the consequence. It's just how do you experience that consequence? So in mm -hmm. as succinct a way as I possibly can, uh, we adopted when we adopted our teens and we were so unprepared for how to walk through some of these things. Our daughter left on Friday to go to school and we uh, didn't uh, hear from her again before she walked in the house Sunday night. And there was so much fear around that. And we obviously, we had some sense that she was okay because uh, her friends were not calling and they knew where she was. Uh, but we went from worrying about whether she was going to be okay and all of that to feeling that need once we knew she was on her way home of now we're going to be angry at her. 
And we shifted in that moment. And it was a hard shift to we want her to experience our our concern and our fear and our love for her, not a blaster as soon as she walks through the door, which is what mm-hmm. I always got um, if I was late. Um, so we gave her that, but she still had the consequence. When she walked through the door, we hugged her. We said we were glad that she was safe. And oh my gosh, she was so relieved. Like, oh, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm glad I'm home. Then before uh, we, you know, kind of sent her off to get a good night's rest, we said, tomorrow when you get home from school, we'll talk about what the consequence is for this. And she gets about halfway up the steps and then she stops and she goes, but what is it going to be? That was the moment where she could take on the the real impact of what she had done, that there was going to be a consequence and that she gets to sit with it now. Uh, We sat with the fear. Now she gets to sit with the uncertainty. And so when she got home, uh, we sat down with her and we said, it's going to be important that you stay home for the next two weekends because it's really important that you know how important family really is and that we care about you and we love you. So we're just gonna have time together for a little bit to cement that. And she was, you know, she was like, you know, like I don't need to be home for two weekends. How about just one Saturday? And we said, nope, it's gonna be two weekends because we wanna make sure it sticks. In those two weekends, we played, we watched movies, we popped popcorn because what we wanted her to get out of this consequence is your family matters. And I can tell you, she never did that again. And she would call us when she was gonna be late because she knew that her family mattered. So we get to decide how we want to walk this to what we want the outcome to be. And if I want the outcome to be that you need to feel bad, there's a good chance if she had sat in a room for two weekends and been miserable, that all it does is drive us farther apart. So while you're listening to this and maybe even going back and listening to it again, think about what do I want the ultimate outcome to be? Do I want it to be that you feel bad? Or do I want it to be that you say relationships matter and I want to honor them? Thank you for sharing that story, Amy, because how beautiful is that? It's not a go to your room and sit by yourself for two weekends. It's a come and see how much we love you and adore you and what this family really means. So it's just a I'm I'm celebrating how you took that and you were able to make it into something meaningful for your daughter so that she wouldn't forget. And if you have any questions of your own, please remember to send them to us to podcast at consciousdiscipline.com. I'm also celebrating some really wonderful things that have been going on in Conscious Discipline. The summer is running hot and we have done a lot of CD1 trainings this season. We've trained new folks in Las Vegas, Orlando, Alabama, Missouri, Chicago, and I have to give a special shout out to our first ever ASL accessible CD1 in Pasadena. We want to celebrate some of our recent accolades as well. The Feeling is Bright, Self-Regulation Through Rhythm and Rhyme won the 2023 Book of the Year from Creative Child Magazine. Amy, did you know about that? Isn't that awesome? That is very cool. Handling Upset, our latest e-course featuring Julie was awarded two top honors. Check this out, guys. It was awarded the 2023 Product of the Year in the Educational eCourses for Parents and Educators category and the 2023 Seal of Excellence in the Behavior Education for Kids category. 
Whoa. And, you know, that's a great one uh, following this podcast, too, because that certainly does identify a lot of those mindset shifts. Our wish well for this podcast is the wishing all of you well who are willing to get on this journey of changing what it is that we grew up with and how we were responded to, to a way of responding differently. Because even though I could give you that story about Connie and how well that went, I got about a whole trunk load of ones that didn't go quite so well uh, riding right alongside it. And we get to decide which one matters the most. So here's what I'm wishing our adult population well to choose the story that says, look what I was just able to bring into this world uh, because I'm willing to be on a road that requires so much transformation in me in order to bring that transformation to others. So when you look in the mirror, every time you see a mirror, you look in that mirror and you smile and you say, I'm on the road and we're getting this because our kids benefit every time we believe that we can. So that's what I'm hoping you do as you uh, move into this next week from this podcast about consequences. The consequence is you're going to really honor your work and what that accomplishes in our world. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We really appreciate you being a part of this journey that all of us are trying to take together because Anything that you do is usually better when you do it together. And with that, from our heart to your heart, we wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers featuring Latoria Marcellus and Amy Spidell, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app.